Geico presents, uh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners? <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Contour from Cox has all your favorites, all in one place. And with the Contour Remote, you can use your voice to find them on live TV, on demand, and streaming apps like Netflix, Prime Video, and more. See Cox.com for details. From Cabernet to Montclair, they're here to slay the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. And we are the art history babes. And we back, and we back, and, and we man. back, and we back. Oh, we back. Wow. It has been a minute. Also, the Dubs just won the NBA championship, so we're like right in cloud nine right now. Plus, we're done with fucking grad school. We submitted our theses. We're like sort of grading, but we really don't care anymore. (laughs) Everybody gets an A. A A plus for you, A A minus for you, young sir. (laughs) I don't know know what the difference is. I really don't care. I had a student come into my office hours today who was like, I think that I deserved a B plus. And I was like, can you tell me why you thought you deserved a B plus? And then she gave me... Just some reasons. And I was like, of course, you get a B plus. As a matter of fact, I'll make it an A minus. And she walked out of my office on cloud nine. And I was like, fuck it. I graduate in like three days. I can do whatever I want. I am literally God right now. And that's fine. She was very happy. Yeah. You made your day. We've we've all written our theses. We've submitted them. Um, which you know if you follow us on on social media because it's all we've been talking about we've for like been the past suffering, month. <laughs> dude. It was um, hard. It was hard times. So. It was hard. It was rough. I ate cried it so much. I cried. <laughs> I like. I ate drank a, too much. I, I ate a lot of flaming hot Cheetos. I ordered a lot of Indian food. Yeah. <laughs> the dudes at the local Indian place just would be excited to come drop off my food because we'd have like a funny story. You know, we would banter. <laughs> you're tight with the dudes at what restaurants? At? Katmandu. Yeah, you're tight with those guys. Man, yeah. they love me. I love them. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but so. yeah, definitely a lot of takeout, a lot of just like. Binge everything binge in excess, everything. yeah, but not enough sleep. Everything in excess, yeah. but sleep. <laughs> we didn't binge on sleep. No, no. <laughs> but we did it, and we we presented on our research, which went well, I think, for all of I us. I think we were all really good. It was nerve wracking. It was, but we'll do. I think we should still definitely do some episodes, at least based like tangentially. I think that we will. On on our theses, yeah. All of our theses, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but like, toot, toot. Um, (laughs) All of our theses are actually really fucking interesting. They are. So we'll do, we're not going to like do episodes necessarily presenting on our theses, but we're going to do some episodes that are related to our research because it's fresh in our mind and we went pretty deep with it, obviously. We're literally masters of the information. We are. So we might as well, you know. We're legitimately experts. That's true, but it's also like, wow. 
right? I know. Doesn't... We need to change our tagline on the website. We are no longer four grad students who drink wine and discuss all things visual culture. We now are four just like four people. Master! <laughs> Master! <laughs> For just a few masters. Just a few masters, you know, drinking wine and discussing all things. Yeah, we have to find culture. a way to say that that doesn't sound as like douchey. Yeah, like, right. I don't know. I feel like I. I Maybe believe... if we say like master sorceresses. I mean, we could say <laughs> like masters in art history. Mas- mas- mistress <laughs> masters. I don't even know. You no, know, no. Here's why I don't like mistress. I'm saying the word mattress. Mistress. Mistress genders are achievement it does. in a way that is somehow um, secondary. Right. True. You know, because calling yourself a mistress or a madam doesn't yeah. give that same mental no, image no, no, no. That's why I would master. combine them. I would never just say I'm a mistress. Well, <laughs> maybe if I would, if I was doing like a costume, I was deep in character, which sometimes happens. <laughs> sometimes Ginny gets really deep <laughs> yeah. in character. Sometimes they show up at her house and she's in a full period dress. Just... <laughs> she's like, um, can I meet up with you guys in 45 minutes? <laughs> We're usually like, yes, please. Take all the time. All of this is a joke. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, But yeah, so I don't know. We'll work through it. We'll figure out what our new tagline is going to be. If you have any suggestions, email them to us. Oh, yeah. I would love to hear suggestions. I feel like all of my creative juices are just like gone. Oh, yeah. So Totally. My brain is like a puddle of mud like yeah the like the band yeah what was yeah. that fucking song oh god uh, puddle of mud. i don't even want to remember i do want to remember <laughs> it's stuck though. in my head forever what was that song Blurry? Uh, was that the name i don't of know <laughs> i don't know don't ask me just forget <laughs> i said anything i saw puddle of mud live when i was like 12 of course you did <laughs> of course you did uh, i like how mud had two d's in I, it. I know why you're <laughs> right you're right it was blurry <laughs> Oh man! I don't oh even man! Know. That was those my the days. Uh, my boyfriend. His uh, dad is like really in puddle mud and like stained. <laughs> Stained. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Shit. He thinks he's hella cool, right? Because he listens to I, this music from like 2000. I he's totally like, uh, forgot about Stained. Yeah, oh, man. they're still around, dude. Uh, they oh, are. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh. oh, those are those are the days back in middle school, just of. Very mediocre, like, alt-rock. But yeah, anyways, the Warriors just won the finals. We're pretty stoked on that. If you're into basketball and you were watching, KD and his mom was just, like, the cutest thing in the entire world. Yeah. Holy shit. legit tears. Yeah, we were, like, crying. It was a whole thing. Well, they were just so cute. Right? You know, she was so so proud. proud Like, her son just did an amazing job. And, you know helped win the NBA, like, MVP, baby. He's yeah. an MVP. Wow. It was great. And, um, you know what? She's like, that was super cool. And now we're back. We're going to talk about some shit. Um, we're going to talk Basquiat. Also, basically, this next week, we're going to just try and drop, like, multiple episodes before we run off to Europe on you guys. Oh, shit. We're going to go to Europe, and we're <laughs> going to flood 
the Instagram. Yeah, you're gonna get so yeah. many Holy pics. Holy hell, the Instagram's gonna be lit. Oh. I just found out I had unlimited data in Europe. <laughs> hell yeah. And I'm like, well, what do you know? I'm well, well, just gonna well. Be blowing up our social media. You're gonna get so many pics of us in front of like castles and frogs. Yeah, and we're gonna be doing like borderline inappropriate shit in most of these pictures, <laughs> and it's just gonna be hilarious. <laughs> I can't wait. Be at clubs in Berlin, just like. I think they can't take pictures in there. I think they'll really? kick you out. That's... Yeah hilarious really yeah because people do like i like that even more yeah <laughs> no now yeah. now you'll just have to imagine yeah well, we'll, Sorry, see. we'll see but i know for sure that there are some places that are like no cell phones damn they don't even let you bring in your phone they like will what if you, you out if they see you using it what I swear. What if you get separated from your group? Right? You're just supposed to um, ride Do the they land. have a PSA <laughs> system? I don't know, dude. Hello. <laughs> we should probably stay. Un Fraulein Americana. We should probably just like stay stick to together. the clubs where we can use our cell phones. You probably don't want to get lost club. in some like Berlin yeah. dungeon club. <laughs> Because it would happen. Uh, i just be uh, like, oh, I'm going to go pee, guys. See you in a bit. Like, go down some, like, dark stone stairwell and just, like, emerge into some shit that I... In, like, a vampire's den? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> nine, nine, nine. <laughs> it's like the, the Kaiser of the dungeon. I'm sorry, Germany. I don't mean to stereotype you. Yeah. I love you. We're, we're just being ridiculous. <laughs> no, right I mean, now. we have here in California, like, a whole very thriving BDSM <laughs> Very true. So, very you know, true. Germany. I and know probably in... some vampires, too, maybe. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know that Germany is into some freaky shit, and you know what? We are, too. So, um, I can't wait to compare notes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, get, get on our, get on our social media, because... Really we're gonna have transition. <laughs> we're gonna have lots of uh, stories and pictures and all that good stuff while we're gone. But you better believe it. Yeah. And this episode is about Jean-Michel Obasquiat. Yeah, we just uh, were thinking about him the other day. He's been in the news. He's been in the news. We've just been thinking about him. Just oh, thinking. Just ruminating. I was ruminating, and then I got very upset. <laughs> do you? Do you got beef, Jen? You know what, dude? I have beef. Yeah. You know why? Because CNBC just thought that they were being so fucking clever. Talking CNBC. Like, oh, a Basquiat's Untitled went for $110.5 million. And, you know, so they kind of spotlight this guy, Isaku Maezawa, 41-year-old e-commerce billionaire he's worth more than three billion which is like amazing that's hella money good for you dude um he he's very useful looking too he's 41 but he looks like he's actually very cute yeah Yeah. i was like oh hello Um, (laughs) anyway uh yeah i guess uh he started as an indie rock star switch style yeah switch style he was a singer for an indie rock band um, now he's a fashion entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Uh, entrepreneur. Wow, I'm sorry, I don't know French words. <laughs> a fur trapper. A fur trapper. <laughs> um, he founded a online shopping mall 
And just made what? billions, basically. That's fucking cool. nuts, yeah, dude. Right? What's his online shopping mall Um, Zozo. Zozo Town. Oh, I've heard of Zozo. Zozo, Zozo Town. Um, and he's also pretty pretty dope. He... Is it like Soto Sofa? South <laughs> 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 Um, He imposes a six-hour work day for his employees. Great. Because he wants them to spend more time America, with their families. take note, please. Because that's what you do when you're a good dude and you're a billionaire and you're like, I want to take care of my employees. It seems like a really cool dude. Also, he's a Basquiat fan, so like... And he just happens to be filthy rich. Yeah, so right? bought some paintings. He seems hella chill. But anyways, back to your beef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really sucks. You know, we're watching this shit on CNBC, and they're going on about, like, oh, this very rich man from Japan bought this painting for blah, 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 one, one, 110.5 million, and then they just, like, devolve into start this, talking shit. They just devolve into this whole thing about, like, how... Um, you know, well, I mean, if he likes it, then I guess more power to him or some kind yeah, of shit like that. Some and stupid, ignorant bullshit, basically, like, pulling out every cliched modern art joke you can possibly, like, think of. Like, they yeah. literally do the, like, my child could paint that thing. Like, they pull out a child's artwork. It was upsetting. Artwork. They put up, uh, Emma, who, by the way, Emma... You know, I thought her art was dope. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's Emma, cool. I they support it you. Unicorn vomit. <laughs> yeah, they call it unicorn vomit. I know for a fact that little Emma did not name her painting Unicorn Vomit. Have some fucking respect. More real. How dare you? Okay. <laughs> Literally, like, that is so disrespectful and weird and rude. And why would you compare a child's art to Basquiat? And also, the painting that they chose to make their comparison didn't look anything like a Basquiat yeah. ever. And anyway, it was just infuriating. I was in poor form. It was sure. super ignorant. You it know? was, it, like, they, they showed, I mean, the main dude seemed a little more like he knew what he was talking about, but was just trying to, like, you know, but play cool. then he was cool. like, he's the new Andy Warhol. And it's like, oh, mm. bitch. <laughs> like, you obviously don't know what the fuck is going on. And also, I just want to know what their names are. So, um, <laughs> we're going to. We're gonna I, write him a letter. No, my, my beef is real, and gonna, I'm we're, upset. We're putting them on blast right now. We're gonna definitely have a link to that video. It's on YouTube. We're gonna have a link. Tell us their names on our page. Like, go on there. You know, get in the YouTube comments. Like, because it was just like, yeah, it was in totally poor taste, and it showed zero understanding of like what Basquiat is or has done. Like, it was just so ignorant the entire thing it was very upsetting and i think that i would like to have words with whoever they are i mean who let's knows? get them on the show let's have a dialogue <laughs> let's talk about how you're wrong and <laughs> shitty for your shitty opinion and we're gonna tell you why your opinion is bad and you should feel bad but it was also the way they, like, handled it. It's like, you cannot like Basquiat's work. Like, that's fine. Yeah. But it was handled in this very, like, stupid, ignorant way. Yes. They just, like, yes. didn't understand what they were even talking about. And I was like, you are doing, all you're doing is. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. We almost had a wine. Almost lost some wine. But it, it, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. Um, but they basically were like, we're going to do this, like, four minute spotlight on this really rich dude who and bought a painting about it. and like not actually give any any 
you know, time or understanding to the work itself, which is like everything that's wrong with the art market. Like, it was yeah. just like, let's talk about this rich dude who bought a painting and not actually like understand the art at all. It yeah. was stupid. Also, I mean, I mean, I, I think that I might delve deeper into this if I do get the opportunity to craft some sort of letter to these two particular people at CNNBC comparing a black man's art to children's art yeah. is gross. fucking gross. Yeah, dude. like seriously. That is disgusting. That's the basis behind primitivism. Mm -hmm. That's what all of the gross ass impressionists like Gauguin were out there doing. Fuck you, Gauguin. We hate Gauguin. Um, <laughs> I want him to come back in spirit form so I can just be like, fuck you. <laughs> Infantilizing like people of color's artwork is disgusting and yeah. you should be ashamed of yourself. For yeah. real. For real. And yeah, and at the end of the day, it's not even like, I know they thought they were like being clever and funny, but it's like not. Like, everyone has heard the my child could do that argument. Or even I could paint that. I've yeah. heard people say that. And it's like, no, so you fucking times. couldn't. Like, if he, like, Basquiat was a fucking genius. Like, his work was so cerebral and, like, so interesting. And it's like, for you to not even take a second to try and understand that is so offensive. Like, yeah. it's so fucking offensive. And it just goes to show that they don't have, like, any even tiny little speck of creativity. And it's probably just jealous. Yeah, right? But it's... it's I mean, they were super ill-informed. And, 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 of course, we understand that, like, there are a lot of issues about the art market where you, like, hear about things that sell for these just insane prices. So it's not like there's some validity to that but like Definitely. the way that you choose to talk about the work itself like even if it's not to your taste just because it's not to your taste doesn't mean like oh it's not art and it just happened to be that way like no artist just happens to make it like that fucking far <laughs> to where they're that successful and prolific like that doesn't just happen right? without any even like a little bit of skill and, like it's well, just that, that the fact that oh like someone could just be living in this world where they're like I don't know how I got this famous it's like that doesn't no. happen actually <laughs> no that really doesn't happen well it just showed like yeah the whole thing showed zero understanding of like the fact that Basquiat was yeah super prolific and was a big deal in the artwork when he was and or when in the art world when he yeah. was alive and it continues to be a super big deal it's like you just didn't even take the time to understand what you're talking about but you bring up a really good point I think um before we kind of dive more into just Basquiat you know biographical information and like his work we should talk a little bit about the art market and mm -hmm. how this work kind of is um I mean it's a big deal so he he broke the record um this painting sold for 110.5 million dollars which um, broke the previous record, which was held by an Andy Warhol work. I actually don't know what work it was. I don't but he broke Andy Warhol's record, which is dope because I think. Uh, I, I wish Jen was out here because she would talk mad shit about Andy Warhol. She but, will. Um, she will shortly. <laughs> um, I'm, she'll come back and she'll do it. But, um, but like, super stoked he has the record now. Yes. I'd much rather Basquiat oh, have the record 100%. than Andy Warhol. <laughs> like, much rather. However,. There are some things to be talked about in terms of the art market. Like, I know, like, Ginny, what do you think about a painting selling for $110.5 million? I mean, uh, for me, it is unsettling just because I can't even fathom that amount of money. And I look at it like 
akin to a lot of like the housing market, you know, where yeah. you hear about these places that sell for these incredible amounts of money. You're like, is it really worth that though? Like, and who is pushing the market value for that? For because sure. it's a very, very small percentage of people. So in that sense, I ha- it's problematic. <laughs> and it's not a world that I think I will ever get into. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe, Maybe just... you guys will start donating to our Patreon like crazy, <laughs> and we're gonna be buying Basquiat. So uh, no. That I would open a super cool gallery somewhere and be like, "Oh, our rich patrons have facilitated these purchases." <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I'm saying, if I had the money, I of course wouldn't be like, "Oh, for shame!" Like I, you know. <laughs> But here's the thing, though. We're never going to have money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, see, like, I kind of come at it from a similar but different perspective. Like, okay, like I said, really glad Basquiat has the the record. Um, I want him to have it over Andy Warhol. I love his work. I think it's super interesting and super prolific. And obviously, I've given my life to art. I think art is of value and it's important. Yeah. I don't think anything is worth $110.5 million. Yeah. Like nothing, like nothing at all is worth that much money. And we put blood, sweat, and tears over visual culture. Exactly. And And I don't, not worth that much. Exactly. I just don't. And especially because he has, he is long dead and he will not see any of that. That money's going to Sotheby's. That money is going to the people who sell it. And that's a problem with the art market is like all of these huge purchases, all of these million dollar purchases of art, the money doesn't typically go to the artists because it's always dead artists that sell at auction. And then the money goes to fucking Sotheby's and it's like, or Christie's or or Christie's. yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so, I mean, I'm all for like working artists getting paid for their work, like 100%. But at the same time, Putting this insane of a price on a work where the artist is never going to see it, it, it just becomes this investment and it becomes this power play of like, yeah. look at this important piece of artwork that I have. And at that point, it becomes problematic because I think, and, and this is going back to the ideology of Basquiat himself. Basquiat did not appreciate elitism and no. like at all, like at all. He was not a fan of it. And he wanted art to be for the people. And if you have rich-ass people buying his art for their own private collections, then the art's not for the people anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that's at least something to think about. Like, you can disagree with me, but it's at least something no, to think about. No, that's very valid. You know? I agree. And I agree. Yeah, for sure. And that's... Oh, it's God. It's you complicated. Just, it is. And you can talk yourself in circles around so that, much of it. That same week that that work was sold for the $110.5 million, 19 um, other Basquiat sold that week for a total of over $200 million for <laughs> all of them. <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah, like and I it's said. It's just so fucking wild because um, there's a documentary on, Basqui- on Basquiat um called oh fuck what is it called is it the um, radiant child radiant child yes and it's super good it's on youtube you it is it. we'll we'll link it uh but they talk about how you know when he was first starting living in new york how he had a crush on this um woman who was later like a long-term girlfriend of his and she worked in a bar and he would just go into the bar and like stand there and like watch her because he was so fucking poor he couldn't even buy a drink yeah and then when he finally <laughs> made enough money to buy a drink then he went in and bought a drink and now it's like holy shit dude 
<laughs> that is just crazy. Yeah. That is, I mean, <clears throat> like, if he knew, like, it's, I don't feel like he would feel okay about that. Yeah, okay, so the thing with Basquiat is he definitely wanted to be famous. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to talk about this more. He definitely was, like, hella motivated, and he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be a big deal. And like I said, he was super cerebral, and he, like, wanted his work to get noticed. I think he definitely wanted to make money, obviously. But also, like, the beginnings of his work came from total just, like, like, he was entire, like, he was homeless. Yeah. He was panhandling. Yeah. Like, he, his work did not come from a concern with money. While he did want to make it, he was not, like, a financially minded person. No. In yeah. any way. And so, like... If he was around today, if yeah, if you went up to Basquiat and were like, your painting is sold, sold for $110.5 million, I feel oh. like he wouldn't even be able to wrap his head around that. You yeah, know what I mean? I, he also, I think, would have been stoked, though. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, like, any artist would be stoked that, like, their yeah. painting is that, you know, well-received, I think. Basquiat was a very, I think, practical artist, and he understood how the art market worked. Yeah. And a lot of his understanding of this came from his relationship with Annie Warhol, who yes. also understood that art is commerce, essentially. Yeah, sure. But also, I feel like we should go back and kind of talk about his rise to Andy Warhol, because I feel like there was a big we shift yeah. in who he was when yes. he met Andy Warhol. Okay, so, Jean-Michel Basquiat. He was born in, I have it written down, uh, December 22nd, 1960. Sagittarius, babe. Oh. Uh, I know, right? Mm -hmm. um, Those are usually problematic. They're so creative, though. Just for me. <laughs> in general. Sagittarians are super creative. A saggy um, guy. I'm like, get, get him out of here. A saggy guy. Get him out of here. Um, they're typically very philosophical and very creative, though. Modern fertility. Dang, I really wish I could sing because I wanted to follow that tune, but I cannot sing. I can't sing either, but I just, I like making little jingles. How about it, Nat? I mean, you probably thought about your next step in your career relationship, but what about planning for a baby or a metaphorical baby? Or, or planning for not a baby. All of those totally reasonable <laughs> options. Exactly. As a woman, we kind of have to make a decision to either have or not yeah. have babies. And Modern Fertility is here to help with that decision making. Modern Fertility is a quick and easy hormone test you can take at home. So if you're thinking about trying for a baby or you want to know maybe what your options are for the future or or if you just want to know more information about kind of how all that works and your hormone levels and just, you know, generally be informed about your reproductive health, which is a great thing to be informed of, Modern Fertility is here to help. So I was able to take it and got my results back within like eight days pretty quick. It took me to the website where they had all my information, and I'm happy to say that nothing came back alarming. It was really easy to understand, and they use very simple language, but they also have options where you can read into the different hormones more closely. So if you do have something that may be slightly out of whack, you can read more about it and figure out you know, how to 
raise or lower or what that might mean for your day-to-day life. It's really interesting. Or your fertility, I guess. I was kind of just looking at it for my day-to-day. But um, speaking from experience, like, yeah, I definitely feel a little more empowered just knowing that all of my hormones are working and doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, that is definitely good news. Also, it is very affordable compared to similar testing. Um, oftentimes, that kind of testing can cost over $1,000. But with modern fertility, you can get the exact same information for just $159. That's such a good price. Yeah. Plus, you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse once you get your results. So you can get answers to questions that you might have, specific questions that are related to your results. And that is really valuable. Yeah. So it's just great information to have, very affordable price, very easy to do. Comfort of your own home. Don't even have to go to the doctor's office. And right now, Modern Fertility is offering Art History Babes listeners $20 off their test when you go to modernfertility.com slash historybabes. That's $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash historybabes. Modernfertility.com slash history babes. Modern fertility. Um, and okay, so he moved to he left home at the age of 17. He ran away. So his mother was from Puerto Rico, his father was from Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, you know, like like they um so he was what like they were immigrants and then he's first generation. Mm-hmm. So he was a first generation yeah. immigrant. Yes. Is that the right term? I don't know. know. First generation American. Yeah. First generation. There we go. go. Um, And so at, um, and his mom was like, she was an artist. She was in art. She would take him to, to Mm -hmm. different um, art museums and stuff. He was a junior member of the Brooklyn at age six, he was a junior member of the Brooklyn Museum, which is super cute. Wow. Um, and Guernica was always one of his favorites, like, from uh, a young age. He was oh, shit. really into Picasso's Guernica, which makes sense. Did you watch that Boscot movie with the actors? Like, it's a biography yeah. of actors? Yeah. It was the, uh, the last time I saw it was a long time ago, but yeah, right. I've seen it before. The opening, like, scene is, like, him as a child with his mom, and they're mm-hmm. watching, they're, like, looking at Guernica. Oh, that's perfect. And he's, like, he kind of, like, cries and sort of, like, what am I looking Looking at. Like, but it's like his introduction. Is to that the movie world. where David Bowie plays? Yes. Andy Warhol. Yes. Yes. So that is the weirdest combination. <laughs> but it's very good. <laughs> Bowie plain world like it's on another level now i think yeah. it, i highly recommend the film i really enjoyed it no oh, it's it really good great. it's called basquiat um i think you can like buy it on youtube you can find it um, yeah. but yeah it's a really good film david bowie plays andy warhol like if that's not enough to pull you in yeah <laughs> it's great right yeah. no it's a great film um you should definitely check it out so he, his mom would take him to museums, and she was very artistic. She also, I think, had like some mental health issues. And but then her dad, or his dad, was an accountant. So you had kind of this like mm-hmm. who's very, um, I don't know, like what's the word I'm looking for? Practical. Yeah, practical. He was a very practical dude. So he had like kind of both sides. He had like the right brain, left brain. Even though that's the right brain, left brain thing's bullshit. But still. And then at age of seventeen, he ran away from home to New York City. And basically just dove into this world of, like, artists and shit that, like, in the 70s were just, like, they would make art, they would make music, they would write poetry, they were just, like, doing all the arts 
and we're all poor. And there was like a group of, what was it? They were called the downtown 500. So there was like a group of like, like roughly 500 people in New York City that all like worked together and kind of hung out and they were all like artists on all different levels. Yeah. Like visual, dancers, musicians, all of this and they party together. Sounds amazing. That sounds so good. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Like, can um, we be there? I know, right? God. It sounds so cool. But yeah, so they were all like just like poor starving artists and you know, he just kind of jumped right in there. He first got noticed doing tags, doing street art um, by the name of Samo. Mm. Um, and it was him and his friend Al Diaz. And they would do these these tags, but the reason they got noticed, because this was a time when street art was first like coming up, you know, people would yeah. tag their names in very stylistic lettering all over the city, especially in New York City. That's yeah. where it got its start. And but he came in, him and his buddy Al, they came in and they did they would do these tags that were like oddly poetic. They wouldn't do the stylistic lettering. They would their tag was Samo with like the the copyright mm-hmm. like so S A M O and then the copyright symbol. They'd have all these poetic phrases. Samo does not cause cancer in laboratory animals. A pin drops like a pungent odor. Samo for the so-called avant-garde. It got noticed really fast because it was different from yeah. the typical street art that people were seeing. It's like these were like poetic statements. He was also in this band called Gray. Which he didn't play any instruments at all. Um, him and there's okay. one. There's one other dude who didn't know how to play an instrument that were in the band, and then like a few other people that did know how to play instruments. So it was very, once again, it was avant, like very avant garde, like kind of out there music. Um, but like people were about it because that was kind of the vibe of this. I'd circle. be in the band. I don't right. play instruments. Exactly. Me too. Like I just hammer on some drums whatever um and tambourine yeah and that was kind of what it was it was very artistic and it was very just like it was all about expression I feel like from what I understand from the circle it was just like a bunch of people expressing themselves in literally any way they could get their hands on which is hella cool yeah. um so yeah so he was kind of getting recognized in underground circles for this but he wasn't making any money off of any of it he was literally a starving artist was like living with girlfriends, was couch surfing, was panhandling. I was watching this documentary, The Radiant Child, which mm-hmm. you should all watch. And and it's there's interviews with him where he's just like he literally doesn't know how he how he survived for yeah. like multiple years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he lived in like a box. Yeah, he was just like just getting by, making his art somehow. He didn't have part-time jobs he didn't like do anything like that but he did start making money by doing t-shirts and postcards and collages Mm -hmm. and then he would try to sell them and this is where Andy Warhol comes in (laughs) so he at at one point he saw Andy Warhol in a restaurant just like randomly and this was before he was like making a name for himself and he just like walks up in there and sells him (laughs) some of his postcards and like Andy Warhol bought them I don't think he was like particularly impressed but he bought a couple of them yeah that was that was where the connection first started. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, uh, Debbie Harry of Blondie bought his first painting for two hundred dollars. Debbie, right? Debbie, <laughs> right? That's um, my babe. Yeah. So Debbie Harry and her boyfriend at the time bought his first painting for two hundred dollars. His first like full scale painting. Interestingly, Basquiat was later in the video for Rapture, Blondie's sure. video for Rapture. Sure. So he's kind of starting to make some chump change off of his art. And then um, people start to take notice. This guy's doing something really interesting. 
I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Anina Noze. Actually, I think that's right. Anina Noze. She was an important like gallery owner at the time. And she came across his work and really liked it and thought it was really interesting. She had seen his work in some kind of show. She went to his apartment and she he didn't have any finished work. And he's like, I want to be in your gallery. But he didn't have any finished work. And, and he was straight up, he was like, well, give me some money to go buy canvas. Yeah. So she gave him money. And then she was like, okay, you can like live in the basement of my studio and like make work. And that's kind of where shit really like took off because he was like he had the space he was able to make these like large-scale paintings and stuff and at his his first full show at her gallery all of his work sold yeah like immediately yeah when annie warhol comes in is really uh 1982 so his zurich dealer actually uh brought basquiat to the factory this guy, Bruno uh, Bischoffberger. Yeah, I think he's in the documentary. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So he introduces them, and they immediately begin this dynamic friendship where they, like, sort of feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. So it's been described in a lot of these different sources as, like, a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, Annie Warhol, I think, recognized that he was on his way out. Like oh was, definitely definitely yeah he totally recognized it he's like I'm on my way out like I'm kind of I'm reaching that point of like a has and I don't think he was handling it well no <laughs> no I think he was no. handling it really poorly I think that Annie Warhol had been through a lot of accusations thus far of having been this person who kind of just like leached off of other people and I feel like that's what he did to Basquiat but Basquiat also benefited from that relationship yeah oh definitely like really much so Basquiat as mentioned previously uh he was really overwhelmed by the fact that he was even a celebrity he was just like what the fuck like (laughs) I was living in a box like now I'm like famous and uh he really gravitated towards Warhol as this like protective alter ego definitely so between 1983 and 1985 they made like a ton of collaborative works um, one of their finest examples was just called Untitled from 1984. I'm not sure if that's the one that sold. Is that the same Untitled that Probably sold? Probably not. For $110 million? No, because it wasn't a collaborative work okay. that sold. I think it was just Basquiat. Yeah. They just started to feed off each other, and they formed this relationship that was somewhat of a father figure role relationship. Like, Basquiat actually formed a really intense uh, relationship with Andy Warhol. Some people have, like, theorized that they had some kind of homosexual relationship. I don't care about that. I know a lot of people said straight up that Andy Warhol was in love with Basquiat. But, like, multiple people who were involved with Basquiat said that he was, like, strictly hetero but at the same time also multiple people knows? were involved yeah, with Basquiat yeah a lot of people yes. were involved with Basquiat he was a heartbreaker oh for real yeah. like okay so the thing about Basquiat is he's got that like enigmatic mysterious like almost like prince-like quality oh where he's yeah. just like you're just like yeah, like, he's just, like, sexy in a way you don't quite understand, you know? Which is like, the sexiest. I know, yes, right? true. He just, like, he's so enigmatic and kind of doesn't give a shit and is just, like, in his own world. 
yeah, so many women and broke so many hearts and had so many long-term girlfriends, some, like, at the same time. Yeah, they were all kind of, like, equally financing him. (laughs) Yeah. God damn it. But speaking of his girlfriends, one of the main, like, main girlfriends, who Jenny was talking about earlier, um, that was the bartender. Yeah. Um, her name was Suzanne Maluk? Maluk? And she was, like, around for a long time. Like, he lived with her a lot and stuff like that. Um, They were, like, a pretty long-term thing. And he would do a lot of paintings with her, like, or he would do a lot of paintings with a Venus figure. And, like, she was always Mm -hmm. the Venus figure. Like, anything with Venus in it was supposed to represent her, basically. But where shit gets kind of interesting is, if you didn't know, Basquiat Uh. had an affair with Madonna. Oh, yeah! Yeah! Uh, That's real. That's the thing that happened. Um, And there's a painting called A Panel of Experts, uh, made in 1987. And it was painted while he was having this affair with Madonna, but, like, Suzanne was still in his life. And in the painting, it's got Venus punching Madonna, like, in the painting. What a fucking asshole, dude. But, like, does that show who his favorite was? Yeah, right? I I don't know. Like, how much of a hotshot he thinks he is. I know, but at the same time, if I was in that situation, like... I'd rather be, I'd rather be punching. punching Madonna than, like, Madonna, you know, winning out. Like, right. At least I'm fighting Madonna. I don't know. need that, but also, it's like, ow, dude. No, it's still fucked yeah. up, of course. Why you gotta do that? But it's a really interesting painting. It'll yeah. obviously be on our images, but... Right. Um, and it, uh, there's other things going on because all of his stuff was, you know, very, like, there was so much... What was the... There's a phrase okay so he used this phrase in talking about his work multiple times he would say is a boom for real um boom for real (laughs) exactly um and it was because i think it's so like perfect because he thought of his work as almost like an explosion Mm -hmm. and it's so true it's the this explosion like so much of his work is this explosion of different images and ideas and it's just the remnants of yes this the remnants of this like beautiful big bang that's you know? true that's true and you want to sort of make fun of it like oh really it's a boom for real but also like <laughs> it is i can't though. think of a better way I to know, describe right? it it's like all right shit like i guess you get to describe <laughs> your work that way and that's part of what makes it so intriguing and so important is because he was coming at a at a time where minimalism was so huge yeah and his work is so undeniably expressive it's just like expression. It's yes. like everything that's going on in his head. It's got just a lot of emotion on a canvas, yeah. and it's like beautiful and interesting. And it's kind of the anti-minimalism, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Like it's really cool. I think it's. I mean, I'm. I don't hate on minimalism. Like I like minimalism, but I think it's way more interesting. Yeah, especially when a lot of his contemporaries were dudes like Rothko. Exactly, <laughs> like, and he's just like, I'm gonna put like. There's something very stream of consciousness about his work there's something very real about an explosion of his thoughts and what's happening to him. So the fact that he would include like in this, in this painting, a panel of experts, like it's not just about his girlfriend and Madonna having it out. Like there's a lot of other things going on in this painting and it's just him like expressing what's going on in his life, which I think is like super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Madonna. So that I guess kind of brings us to the point of where he, like, started getting pretty famous. Obviously, he was, like, hooking up right. with Madonna. Right, I mean, especially in the 80s, like, shit. Yeah, right? Um, now it would be like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Aww, <Madonna. laughs> um, But, yeah, so he was, like, 
you know, getting pretty famous. And this, you know, is also, yeah, where, like, he got real tight with Andy Warhol. And a lot of his close friends recognized a shift in him yeah. at this point. Where, like, yeah. he was, he was, so he was, like, you know, on the verge. Yeah, he was on the verge of being, like, a millionaire, right? He didn't have a bank account. Like, he didn't, he wanted to be famous, but he wasn't great with money, basically. And right. so he just, like, would hide his money, like, all over his apartment, like, under, like, cushions and shit, and he was having parties, like, every night. That is and he, insane. I cannot <laughs> imagine. I'm like, stay out of my house. Yeah, like, he was having parties. He was having parties constantly, and he just had stacks of cash hidden, like, all over his apartment. It's like Chris Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Chris Brown. For <laughs> <laughs> real. What a piece of shit that guy is. Oh. <laughs> like, I only meant that comparison in that Chris Brown invites random people to his house for parties, and they still shit from him and he probably should stop i'll fight him right now <laughs> well i'll fight chris brown chris brown you need help yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so so he got to this point where he's fairly famous and and i mean at least from what people close to him recall is he kind of it's, it's weird because he wanted that he wanted to be a big deal um, and, and, and he had the, the right to want that cause he was yeah. like, he was pretty genius. Like he was doing amazing things and, um, and he, but like once, once the fame really started to hit, that was also probably not surprisingly when he started doing heavier drugs and yeah. everyone is expensive, dude. Exactly. And so he's doing more and more drugs. And as, as has been relayed by like some of pe the people closer to him is like, when you get to that certain level of fame, you, one, have a right to be paranoid because people are trying to exploit you. Yes. But at the same time, the drugs don't help that exactly. at all. Exactly. So he's doing more drugs, and he's also worried he's being exploited for good reason because he was being exploited by yeah. people. And it just, he just kind of starts to spiral really fast. Yep. You know, which I, I also think his age had something to do with that. I think, like... That level of fame at like twenty five. I can't even can you, fathom right? that. Right? Like it's just I can barely handle just regular life. Like in yeah. my twenties. Yeah. Know? We've been out recently where people were like, "Oh my god, are you guys the art history names?" And I'm like, "Ah, <laughs> that happened once." <laughs> no, no, no. There was that chick at the bar. Remember? Oh yeah, it happened twice. It twice. Happened twice. It happened the twice. at the bar. Oh, the chick from Lithuania. You weren't there. No, oh, no. I don't think she was from Lithuania. <laughs> okay, no. so it happened to us twice, and it was very cool. And like, it was so cool. But in those two very kind of laid-back situations, we were like, ah! Oh. Yeah, we were both like, whoa! And we're not making millions of dollars off we're this. We're making no dollars. <laughs> we made some, some okay, dollars. Okay, we made, we made approximately $300. <laughs> hey -o. 300 is better than no hundred. It is, and we're very appreciative. Spartans took down the Persians, according to Frank Miller. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Those beautiful. Persians. Okay, yeah, anyone who has contributed to those $300, we're very grateful. We love you. We love you very much. So having that insane level of, of fame and just, obviously, like, everyone wanted to sleep with him, everyone wanted a piece of him, everyone wanted to talk yeah. to him. He was, like, a big fucking deal the women man. wanted to be with him the men wanted to be him <laughs> for real though everyone wanted a piece of him and i can't and for someone who's also like he strikes me as 
as having been like a very introverted person yeah. and being an introverted person and having that level of exposure and people just around you all the time. It just, he's one of those fascinating people. Like, oh. I, like I get it. He's very, like, he's definitely introverted, but like likes to party all the time, which right? I feel like, like I'm that. very introverted, but like to party all the time. Too. I think it's all of us. I yeah, think, we want to be alone for the most part, but then when we are being social, we want to burn a building down. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair way to put it. Yeah. Um, like, leave me alone for the most part, unless you want to commit arson <laughs> in a very public way, in which case, I'm down. <gasps> no, I feel like that's kind of an artist mentality. I think people are attracted to art. Like, we tend to be very introverted in the sense that we like to, I like to spend a lot of time alone. I can spend all weekend by myself just, like, reading and, like, on the internet. And yeah. I'm very Watching happy. Watching crazy documentaries. Watching documentaries. And I'm, like, I need that. But then, like, after, like, three or four days, I'm, yes. like, I yeah, I need to burn yes, some shit for down. Sure, for sure. Like, I need to get hella social. I need to dance it out in a yeah. club. Like, so. I want to know about your problems. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that, that interesting space between introversion and extroversion that I think he definitely experienced because mm. he was like, a, he, he partied all the time. Yeah. But he was clearly in his own head constantly. Yes. yes. Like, it's very obvious in any interview you watch with him, he lived in his own head, yeah. which is what made his art so compelling. It's because it was this expression of literally what was going on in his head at any given moment, which is so fucking cool. Yes. And again, CNBC, you don't fucking get it. Yeah, get out. We don't like you. Get out, CNBC. But also, from an art historical perspective, this is also for you, CNBC. If you don't just, like, appreciate his work aesthetically or take the time to understand it, his work had mad art historical references. Yeah, like, yes. all over the fucking place. He would reference Da Vinci. He knew what he was. He would reference he Van Gogh, yeah. Picasso, de Kooning, Pollock, like everybody. In movements. Every everything. He knew his shit. And like dude. mocked movements. Yeah. I think that he was an ultimate like well, okay, so he's been described as a neo expressionist, which I think is a good description. I also think that if we're getting on that label hype. Uh, we need to <laughs> add to that as a postmodern neo. Oh, definitely. Yes. He's postmodern all day. Like yeah. so much postmodernism. Yeah, and if we want, it had get, the it had the irony. It had yeah, the cynicism. Yeah, and if we want to get like really um, <laughs> like deep into his shit, um, the fact that race really influences yes. his work. Yes. And I would like to look at Basquiat's work through a postcolonial lens. Hell yeah. And I think that. That is why I am equally as upset as all the rest of us at CNNBC because how fucking dare you compare a black man's work to a child's work. You know what you did. You know it was heinous. (laughs) I'm not going to hear any excuses. That shit was nasty. And really upsetting and there's uh, there's um an interview on on that documentary um Mm -hmm. the radiant child there's an interview with Basquiat and it's so great because he just keeps his cool so well 
someone like I don't even know was some some white dude was like talking to him about his work and I don't think he meant to be as horrible as what he said was but like he was just like he brought up the term like there's something like primitive or something about your work and Basquiat just stops he's like like a primate and like the white dude like stops in his track and Basquiat just kind of giggles and I'm like (laughs) I'm like seriously like how how dare you like fuck off like I'm so I know we talked about this in the cubism episode Mm. but fuck the term primitivism yeah oh I know fuck it I talk about primitivism a lot in my thesis. It's, yeah. it's like so messed up. It's like okay, it's so the the just, whole like the whole sort of mentality behind primitivism is that the so a an industrialist Europe is constructing European utopias. And so this idea of utopia mm-hmm. is huge in like early yes. I'm talking like 19th 20th century yeah, hell yeah. utopia and like people All over writing about utopias yes. become like just huge everyone is interested in going back to a utopia and the utopia is always a pre-colonized world with a right. natural man and so famously these modernist artists um like cite African masks mm-hmm. and Mesoamerican forms yep. and um, even like Japanese calligraphy and Japanese hand scrolls, yep. Japanese um, like woodblock prints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These things become hailed among the like modernists of the early 20th century as being something that's coming from that place of a natural man yeah. that mm-hmm. is untouched by the trappings yeah, of, of European civilization. civilization. <laughs> oh, civilization. Yeah. No. <laughs> I want to be nude on a sand beach and drink water out of a coconut. And, and if you're Gauguin, take advantage a of young girls. Like, yeah. Fuck Ogam. That episode's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We gotta get there. We've been yeah, talking about it for there. so long. It's coming. Okay. But anyways. Anyways, I really hate any time that anyone calls anything primitive. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's get fucked up. Get the fuck out my face. It's just, it, yeah, it's just a fucked up term and, like, we can describe these artworks so much better. Like, I really... So I love the name of the documentary, The Radiant yeah. Child. And I... There are... are points where his work is discussed as him expressing his inner child Mm -hmm. which is very real because uh, so he at the age of seven he was hit by a car um which I mean how many amazing artists were fucking in car accidents like what (laughs) um well Frida was hit by a bus yeah in a trolley or wait was she in a she was in a trolley and hit by a bus yeah. She was in a trolley and she got hit by a bus. But anyways, he was hit by a car at the age of seven. And it was a very, like, traumatic experience for him. But it also, like, is really important in his artwork because he... So he was in the hospital for a while. He had his spleen removed, I believe. Um, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a big deal. It wasn't just like he got tapped by yeah. a car. Like, it was, you know, pretty fatal. Um, and while he was in the hospital, his mom gave him a copy of the book Grey's Anatomy, um, you know, which is like an like full of anatomy like illustrations oh, yeah. and shit, and it is so clear. Like his work is so clearly influenced by this book, like the work with anatomy and things yeah. like that. That's um, interesting, dude. Because yeah. um, I'm just still thinking about Frida. 
when Frida was confined to her bed for like a year and a half, um, these medical mm-hmm. books, yeah. with medical illustrations were hugely influencing to like her aesthetic. Definitely. Time. Yeah. And that's very much what happened with Basquiat. And if you go back and look at a lot of his work, like you're going to find one, you're going to find illustrations of things that clearly, you know, look influenced by, you know, an anatomy text. You're also going to find images of cars mm-hmm. and, and yes. transportation yes. and like, so there is, as his work, as we said, it's definitely neo-expressionism. It's super expressive. There's definitely expression of important things that happened in his childhood. Also, it's been de- described as his way of creating art is him kind of channeling his inner child. Yeah. And that is beautiful. Like, I and think it's that's... it's not primitive. It's not primitive. It's him expressing yeah. some very real emotion of being a child. It's Dude, not yeah. like... why is the child primitive? I don't exactly. understand that. It's like, oh, are you just like, the child is trapped in some sort of innocent, like, framework that, like, is untouched... Children are super fucking observant and observe Dude, and yes. absorb yes. everything around them. Children so, are the best. Like referring <laughs> referring to children as somehow untouched or pure or innocent is so like blind and Yeah, or like, primitive. And like so there's this cross, yeah, this cross area of being like, oh, so some of his work is childlike, therefore it's primitive. And it's like, no, bitch. No. Like, that's not what's going on here. Like, first off, like, I have been working with children for, like, over 10 years. I love children. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. They're, like, their eyes are so open in ways you, ours just aren't anymore, you know? Like, they're just, like, the creativity that flows out of them is crazy. They're not hella jaded. Exactly. And it's beautiful. And the fact that Basquiat could, like, channel that but still represent it in a mature way is genius like it's insane and it is in no way primitive you know it's don't like don't ever call it primitive like if you ever call it primitive in my fucking face i'm gonna be mad and we're gonna fight because that shit's super lame i'm so sick of people saying that I know, things made so by colored people people of color are somehow primitive yeah oh there's a racial angle it's primitive what does that mean like who makes these distinctions oh it's white europeans for real as we watched the suburban garden gnome carefully carefully without disturbing it he noticed that it moves like not at all it's inanimate and utterly without brain function but Despite that, when a garden gnome hears about how Geico not only saves people money, but also gives them access to licensed agents 24-7 online and over the phone, it's clear to them you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. But on second thoughts, maybe don't watch garden gnomes too carefully. People might talk. Yeah, so anyways... I'm pissed. Yeah, we're all really mad right now. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Basquiat's work is in no way primitive. It's actually like a genius expression of the entire human experience, so fuck off. I mean, I think we're definitely in a place where at least people who appreciate art understand that more now. If you're ever about to to talk about any, any art as primitive, just don't. Just, like, don't Yeah, do like, check yourself before you wreck yourself, for real, because you're going to look like a dumb idiot, and no one wants to be that person to be like, well, actually, you're a dumb piece of shit. Like, just don't refer to things as um, primitive. But while, while we're kind of discussing some of these harder, more problematic aspects, okay, so first off, 
Jean-Michel Basquiat, man of color, making art, doesn't mean every one of his works is about being a man of color because, like, that's also a problem is being like, hey, this person of a certain cultural background is Only just... makes that. Yeah, that's not okay. But he did make art that did reference specific things about being a black man. There was a racial angle. There was a racial angle for sure. to a lot of his work, and it's a really, like, really profound racial angle. Like, he... Um, so he used the, the, um, crown emblem a lot. Like he would, a lot of his works mm-hmm, involve mm-hmm. a crown and it had to do with black kings. Yes. Black kings basically trying to represent powerful black men as kings because they are have, at that point so rarely had been represented that way. So there was obviously a, a powerful like racial undertone there. Um, he did work that very much... Um, resonated with his experience as a black man like he he referenced famous jazz artists he referenced famous black athletes like so race was a part of his work and he was trying to bring that to the forefront and then especially you know 1980s police brutality as an issue you know, at the forefront of things was a big thing in the 80s into the early 90s. Totally, dude, because the 80s was, like, the whole crack epidemic and the whole, like, AIDS epidemic. And, like, these things wouldn't be epidemics if legislators were even, like, remotely concerned for issues affecting, like, black inner-city mm-hmm. communities. Exactly, exactly. So there was a graffiti artist by the name of Michael Stewart that was arrested for graffiti art because for some reason that was a travesty, like, to paint yeah. shit on walls. How dare you yeah. spray paint <laughs> on this abandoned building? Yeah. Anyway, so he was arrested, and then he was beaten to death. By oh, five white police officers. And as you can imagine, this affected Jean-Michel Basquiat in a very, like, real way. Because yes. that easily could have been him. Yes. Like, he was out wow. there doing the exact same Holy thing. Holy shit. I know. It's super fucked up. Like, it's so fucked up. And it was, like, a really big deal. And that was a time period where I think a lot of his work was a lot more focused yes. on issues of race. And rightfully so. And um, definitely uh, a intensely social political aspect of his work too but at the same time that wasn't all his work right and I think that's really important to yes. recognize too is like yes. because people are so quick to put you know artists of color into this box of like they can only make art that's about their experience as right. like a black man or like yeah I think that black artists have a really difficult time navigating their identities as a black artist for real when you become a black artist so i'm like you know there are uh theoretical air quotes around black artists so many air quotes i know i know i'm just like expecting you guys to like figure it out but you know this idea of the black artist it's like you are given a responsibility to represent problems and issues within the black community when you become a black artist it's the same as being a chicano artist or a female or a female artist artist, or a like gay artist or a trans artist all of these things it's like if you if you're not a white male artist your art is suddenly about the group that is you you represent represent. yeah Yeah, so you know whatever your prefix is you better make sure that you're representing that (laughs) and i think that's fucked and that's like the world that like basqua was like put into and i think that that's unfair you know because 
thinking of this issue as like someone who is like a person of color even though my skin is so much lighter than Ginny and Corey's, I don't get out into the sun because I'm afraid of melanoma. <laughs> um, so I don't really get in the sun very much. I'm the whitest Mexican you've ever seen. So like white skin, but my hair is black. Um, anyway, basically the point what I'm trying to say is that when you have some sort of uh, affiliation with being a person of color, it's mm. like you suddenly take on this whole responsibility to represent the community that other people have, like, said that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know? mm -hmm. So even if I've never come out, like, formally and been like, I am a representative <laughs> of the Chicana community, um, someone else is going to make that judgment. Yeah. And that's what happens with artists like Basquat and, like, why I feel his work has either been like pigeonholed or it's been like discredited. Definitely. I feel like he's been pigeonholed as an artist of color or he has been somehow discredited as being a as being someone who like leached off of Annie Warhol. Yeah, or like Madonna's Which boyfriend. is right. Right? <laughs> Which is such bullshit because first off, Annie Warhol leached off Basquiat. Like let's be real. Like parasitic. <laughs> parasitic shit. Warhol knew he was going down. <laughs> He yeah. was like, I'm old. My I've shit. Been I've been <laughs> Yeah, he got shot. Oh! Yes! He got shot by this lady who was like, a, you know, a lady with some problems, all right? He knew a lady with some problems. She met him. Miss uh, Valerie Solanas, a radical feminist. She wrote the Scum Manifesto. Oh, yeah. The Society for Cutting Up Men. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> Damn. She had a degree in psychology. Her tagline for the Scum Manifesto was overthrow the government, eliminate the money system, institute complete automation, and eliminate the male sex. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I'm with her on some of it, but, a like, <laughs> like, some of it. Uh, so she, she accused... I mean, right now I want to overthrow the government. Fuck the government. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to eliminate the male sex. No, not, no, none of us here want that. <laughs> I really like you guys. It um, reminds me of the episode of Rick and Morty where they go to that, that universe where they just use men for breeding. But they're all doing like really stereotypical feminine things. Like, like they the way they they talk to each other is like, I'm here if you need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Oh, yeah. um, what was that that article though about that I told you to screenshot the. Oh, uh, you guys oh. gotta hear. Wait, it. I didn't finish what I was about Fin to say. Finish, finish. Oh, all I really had to say was that um, she had a play that she wanted Andy Warhol to produce. It was called Up Your Ass, <laughs> and she accused him of stealing her script. And she was very disgruntled over what she believed to be an injustice. <laughs> and she went to the factory on June third, nineteen sixty-eight, and shot Warhol three times. <laughs> And he... He almost died. He almost died. Yeah. He suffered from um, complications from his gunshot wounds for the rest of his life until he died in, um, I believe he passed away in 1988, of complications from he like, died a gallbladder. He died in 1982? Yeah. 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 Um, ba okay, so Basquiat died August 12th, 1988. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I have 1987, but I think it was like closely thereafter. At the age of 58, he had complications from gallbladder surgery that were further complicated by his gunshot wounds. And after Andy Warhol passed away, Basquiat, who actually really loved Andy, yeah, um, they were tight, got super depressed and just started doing like mad heroin. And he passed away. On August 12th, 1988, of a heroin overdose at age 27. Yeah. 27 Club, along with Jim Morrison, Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, Joplin, Heath Ledger, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Kurt Cobain. Cobain. 27 Club, man. Yeah. I made it through. I'm at 28. I'm not 28 yet. (laughs) I need to, like, tread carefully. If you're younger than 27, watch yourself. Uh, don't die. I'm, I'm trying to watch myself. Don't join. Just that don't. Club. Okay, but like, let's be real. Just don't do heroin. Yeah, everyone in the Twenty Seven Club also did heroin. So don't do heroin. You're gonna be fine. Just don't ever put a needle in <gasps> your arm, man. Like I'm. Like seriously, you're giving blood, and it's done by a professional. Yeah. Like I'm. Like do your thing. Like you want to explore stuff, fine. Just don't do heroin. Just don't do heroin. It'll literally like, kill you. Seriously, there are other drugs you can try that it's won't kill that you. Cool. Like don't it's, do heroin. Heroin's not that cool. Do. do do shrooms, do LSD, don't do heroin. Do yeah. ayahuasca and be like the guy from Altered States. He turned yeah. into a monkey. Yeah. That's badass. There's so many it's other... better than dying. <laughs> there's so many other drugs, don't do heroin. That I mean, that just don't do it. PSA. That, yeah, don't that do was, heroin. The art history bands are PSA. against heroin. We are. We're not about heroin. But, <laughs> so we got, we got this great, this beautiful headline from... From the, the fucking sun. From the sun that oh. Jenny's going to read for oh. you. So this was just um, published last Did month. Did we switch wine? Um, oh, we did. <laughs> a while ago. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. want to switch back, no, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so the headline for this is, Who's that guy? <laughs> How Madonna's junkie ex became an art hero with peace fetching 85.4 million pounds 29 years after he died of a heroin overdose. Oh, he fetched it. He just fetched it. Which like I a just dog. thought was like crazy. Like, honestly, okay, so. Madonna's washed up, and I don't care what you say. Yeah. She's <laughs> I don't done. Even, I don't like her, also, and I. Okay. Okay, before we get into the Madonna <laughs> hate. I do have a really good quote from Madonna about Basquiat that I want to read. It's a good quote, and I think it captures what Basquiat was about in a very real way. He loathed the idea that art was appreciated by an elite group. He used to say he was was jealous of me because music is more accessible and it reached more people. Whoa. Which is beautiful. That's a good quote. I know, because once again, going back to our earlier conversation... While Basquiat wanted to be successful, he wanted, like, he was hella competitive. It's really interesting because he lived this, like, bohemian lifestyle, but I feel like he was such a perfect balance of, like, he was bohemian, I'm just, like, living my life, but he he was competitive. He wanted to be the best. Yeah. And he wanted to do good work. And so it's this this crazy balance. But at the end of the day, like, he didn't want his art to just be for the elite. Like, yeah. he wanted it to be for people. Right. And I think that's, like, the most important thing about his shit. That's why I wish that more of his street art existed, you know? Yeah. That shit's been painted over a million times over, but 
I don't know. I just think that, yeah, he may have been stoked that his work went for so much, but he might have also felt, like, perverse. Exactly. I mean, there's no doubt that he wasn't in some way, like, your tragic kind of tortured artist to an extent. I think he struggled with fame in a very real way, which, you know, compounded with Andy Warhol and the heroin and shit got out of hand and Madonna I don't know. Like, I guess Madonna was pretty cool back in at that time. She but, was fine. You know, like, whatever. Like a virgin was kind of a jam. But she had some like, really cool nudes. Um, yeah, that came around. What was that book? That book. Oh, oh. oh, what the fuck was that book called? I don't remember. It was super erotic. I can't remember. She had like the it. biggest. I bush. remember finding that in Barnes and Noble as a child. Yeah, and like the pages were so bent from like so many people flipping through it. Probably a lot yeah. of. Like, you know, 14-year-olds. Yes, yes. Yeah. She had, like, a a working woman's bush. Well, that was, like, the Steez in the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. Let's bring that shit back. Let's do that. Oh, I thought we were about to flip to, like, a page of her (laughs) bush. No, I just... Corey's flipping through a book right now, and I was like, oh, are we about to see Madonna's bush? I can't wait. No, I just wanted, because obviously we're, like, wrapping up. I kind of just wanted to look at some of his paintings and talk about them a little bit. Um, because this shit's so cool. I've got a couple books. I went to the library today and picked I up. I hang out with him, dude. A couple, dude. I was at the library today, and it was just, it was just infested with undergrads studying for Ew, finals. And get I was, out. And I was like, you guys are such suck a chunk. Nobody <laughs> likes you. <laughs> just kidding. We like. Yeah, you. Yeah, we like you. But I'm being shit talk. Oh, it's beautiful. We like some Philistines from 1982. It's gorgeous. Oh, this is very nice. I enjoy it very much. <laughs> Acrylic the and oil. Beautiful. Paint stick on canvas. 72 by 123 inches. That's a good size. He did a lot of <laughs> he did a lot of large scale paintings. This is really cool though. He's got those faces. So like the painting that he sold for the 110 million, it's it's an untitled work. We'll post it on on our images, but it it's one of his one of his faces. Would you yeah. call it Primitive? No, fuck no. <laughs> I will never call any work primitive. <laughs> like, if the words primitive come out of my mouth, it's because I am judging you for um, forgetting how to use <laughs> basic amenities as an adult. <laughs> um, this is also a cool thing he would do. So his work incorporated like words a lot. Yeah. Um, he was very poetic. And he would do this thing where he would like write words and then he'd cross them out. And the reason he, he said he would do that is because if you cross out a word, it makes people want to read it more. True. That's true. Isn't that dope? If I see something crossed out, I'm like, what did you say? Yeah. Ooh, oh, head. Fuck. That's beautiful. 1981. Yeah. Head. Head. His heads are legit. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I just dig this so yeah. much. There's math. There's math on the Yeah. Yes. His work is seriously so Formula. cool. Like I said, I was talking about this earlier. I haven't seen very much Basquiat in oh. person. Oh. Yes, dude. I knew he was influenced by this mm. motherfucker. Kirshner? Yeah, Kirshner is I a have dark this naked lady in my yes. bathroom. I know. Cy Twombly, too. He was, yeah. Twombly. He was really into Da Vinci. He would, like, do I a mean, lot of shows. Who's, who's man's is this? <laughs> da Vinci's man. Oh. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, Da Vinci's man. Sure. <laughs> da Vinci knew what he was talking yeah. about. Go Gogan. Yellow gonna... Christ. Get him out of here. <laughs> anyway. There he is oh. with Andy. Oh, what's the work? Um, 
Is it Dos Cabezas, the work with, yeah, yeah. with him and Andy? He did. It's a really great painting, and it's like, it's his signature, like, heads, but it's, it's actually, him and Andy. It's really sweet. It's like a very well-made uh, representation of Basquat and Andy in Basquat's style, and um, I think it's really cute. I think it just kind of encapsulates their friendship. This is an important one. Sugar Ray Robinson. Yeah, so it's untitled, parenthesis, Sugar Ray Robinson, 1982. Mm -hmm. Um, This work was very much in that, like, what we were talking about when he he got very, you know, kind of political and, like, and also just um, representative of his experience as, like, a black male and was very, there it is, um, it was very into just representing important, you know, black male athletes and, and important people in history. And it's just like, it's almost kind of minimalist. It's just black. Yes. And there's this yeah. face and the crown and then it's a Sugar Ray Robinson, but it's genius. Like, it's just mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. I wonder how much of this went for. I wonder how, like, who owns this. I hope Sugar Ray Robinson owns it. <laughs> It'd be so dope. Yeah, a lot. He had um, paintings of like boxers and and uh, baseball players. What else do we have in here? Yeah, so we've got the Dos Cabezas, nineteen eighty two. It's I love it. I love it too. I love it so much. Do you look at his like happy face? I know. <laughs> they just look like happy man. They just look like friends. They're just like hey, we're friends. I'm gonna paint you guys in this style. They're like my friends. <laughs> cool. My friends. I'm down. He also, he had an insane amount of work. Like, he, I swear this man never slept in his 27 years. He probably didn't. Like, that's why he probably only lived to be 27. I know. He was, he made so much Incredibly prolific. Yeah. Like, it it is really, really astounding. And there's just so much of it. Just between 1983 and 1985, with Warhol, he created over 200 collaborative works. Oh, look at him. I know. Also, he was. He was. Spoiled boys. He was super tight with Keith Haring, who we'll also do an episode about because I'm a little obsessed I with Keith. I love Keith Haring. Um, he's a guy. He, yeah. <laughs> he is. He's such a he's such a guy. But we're looking at a super cute picture of Basquiat just giving him a little kiss on They're the forehead. They're just like so cute. They're super just, cute. Oh, I just wish that I was best friends with someone like that. I Wait, know, right? I am actually. Yeah, there's just, God, there's so much work. We'll, you know, do our best to put some of it up, but like. You guys, we'll do our best. You guys gotta watch. You have to watch Basquiat, which is the 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 fictionalized. Mm. One yeah, it is. Watch. It's very good. It's very good, and then and that's Basquiat, the one. Radiant Child. And then you have yeah. to watch the documentary, which is on YouTube for free, called The Radiant Child. So good. It's very good, and just like captures him, and you'll get to experience him and all of his enigmatic, mysterious beauty. He was so cool. I want to be, like, one-tenth as cool as he is. I like, think that you are. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, he loved Mark Twain, too. Mark Twain. Mark Twain, yeah. Mark Twain, Mark Twain. his favorite author, which I think is super cute. Like, he really liked Mark Twain. And, like, Mark Twain is Me too. such a such the American author. Like, I love it. I mean, we could talk about Basquiat, I feel like, for, like, a really long time. Nah, we're cool right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but we have... So much listener mail. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry we've like fallen behind emails. everyone. But there's so much. There's no way we can. Yeah, so I'm literally just picking a few out of the hat and Let's we're going to just talk about them because um, we have so much and you guys are so great. Like, seriously, you're amazing. I okay. love it. Here's a good one. This one's coming from Shannon. 
Hey, Art History Babes. I just listened to your podcast on Salvador Dali and was so excited to see the episode because I'm currently reading this autobiography, The Secret Life of Salvador Dali. In your episode, you were talking about his king's costume. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And questioning how and why he got it. He actually addresses this in his prologue and says that he admired and actually wanted to be Napoleon. Oh, we said that. We said that. And that on the day of the Feast of Kings, his parents actually bought him a crown and cape. I guess his parents didn't know all of the details of what he'd be doing in his costume. Yeah. Yeah. LOL. (laughs) Oh, shit. He was so probably, like, Napoleon (laughs) and fucking Hitler. He had a literal Napoleon complex. Complex, for real. Um. Anyways, hope this helps a little. Love your podcast, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. That is great. Uh, as a great little <laughs> factual tidbit. We enjoyed tidbit. that. Yeah. Um, oh, man. That's. That's good. Um, and we'll do one other one. We got a witness. We'll stay on the, the subject of Dali. Oh. Okay, so we've got a witness to Dali fraud here. Here's some Salvador Dali feedback. There's a journalist who witnessed Dali signing blank lithographs. Yeah. Dolly and his manager did this right in front of him, apparently with no problem. Don't doubt it. And Dolly's late-life muse, Amanda Lear, also joked about it to the journalist whom she was acquainted and or friends with. See article linked below. Uh. So it didn't seem to be such a huge secret. That does raise the question whether the art world just didn't want to actually reveal the facts. If Dali and his manager were not actually being very secretive about it, maybe they knew how the art world works. I believe it. Yeah. By art world, I mean the art, quote, establishment and commercial side. We feel you, bro. Um, Of course, it's fraudulent on Dali's side, but it does expose many flaws in the art market. Word. Anyway, a guy called Mick Brown went to interview Dali and spent a day with him and his entourage in 1973. Here's a link to an article with the journalist retelling Ooh. what happened, we'll put this on our our link. It's gonna be good. Um, my weekend with Salvador Dali. That must have been a weird time. I know, right? Um, but anyways, yeah. So the whole Dali fraud thing, I think I think that's a really fair point to bring up, and and we kind of addressed it a little bit. Is like how much of it was fraud, and how much of it was the art world just being like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> like, dude, I think it was. We've already said art. The art market is really problematic. It's so it's problematic. And we'll and do very a... very complex. It makes no sense. Like, it could be anything. It could. Um, I could be like, wow, my toenail's gonna go for 200k, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The toenail from Jennifer's right foot, um, on sale now <laughs> on Sotheby's. Sotheby's? <laughs> okay, did I say it wrong? Did I say it wrong? How do you say it? Sotheby's. Ooh! Okay, my bad. Whatever, dude. Fuck Spanish them. was my first language. Get out of my face. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll definitely at some point do just an episode on us bitching about the art market because I think we have lots of feelings about it. But this was a good, like, intro. Yeah, it was. Um, also, just to be fair, uh, like I said, we were celebrating the dubs winning the finals. So if my this... babe is the one, guys. <laughs> Clay Thompson, I love you. Please marry me. <laughs> He's married, bro. No. Yeah. <laughs> Divorce her. He's married. married. He's married. Whatever. But I'd literally marry any of the Iggy. Iggy. Oh, man. Iggy's my boy. I don't even know who that is. Andre Godala. Oh, fuck. Sorry. KD. Curry. <sighs> Curry is the... He, I'm not attracted to him. Oh, I'm... T- he looks like a little boy. To no. Me. No, he's hot. I know. Corey no, <laughs> and I argue about this all the She's time. She's a Clay Thompson girl. I'm a Steph Curry girl. Clay Thompson is so much hotter. Um, <laughs> just FYI. Yeah. But, like, 
but man, they killed it tonight. So yeah, we were already in a celebratory mood when we started yeah. this episode, so hopefully you could follow what we were saying, but you know. I think that I think we were very, very eloquent, and um, congratulations for listening to this <laughs> badass episode. Congratulations. Okay, congratulations. We've done it. This is the first episode we've recorded since we submitted our long theses. Time. Woo! So, even if it's like kind of rusty, I literally don't care because this is the best you could expect from us. Anyways, um, we would really like to hear your feedback on Basquiat because there's like so much to talk about. Give it to me, babe. Yeah, and we would just like to hear all of your thoughts really on the Basquiat selling for 110 mil, on his work, on whatever we just talked about. Anything. anything. Send, send us your thoughts. Did you think Andy Warhol was a parasite? We want to know. I want to know. Um, so email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram yeah. our, at Art History Babes Podcast. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, y'all, because like our Twitter game isn't the greatest. So like we're working on it. We're working on it though. So follow us on Twitter. We can like help amp that up at Art History Babes. Like us on Facebook, Art yeah. History Babes. Uh, what else? I'm at a uh, Tumblr, arthistorybabes.tumblr.com. Patreon, patreon.com slash Art History Babes. Oh shit. Also, we're going to get on that YouTube vibe. We have a YouTube channel, so follow it, because, like, we're going to start recording We're going to do videos. more over the summer. We're going to just Oh, yeah, we have like, a couple video videos babes. sitting on yeah. the dock. Yeah. yeah. The Bob gonna... Ross drinking game. Oh, oh shit. shit. Oh, I almost shit. forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to start getting videos out there, and we're also going to be doing some blogging, like, Ooh. hardcore. Um, look out for our travel blog. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's going to be so good. We guys. are going to be throwing so much content We're away. going to be in Berlin like, Your love, it takes me high, high, I've been beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Um, this summer, just be expecting mad content from so Eric History So much Babe. content. Content. We're doing it. We're making it happen. Content. 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 Um. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You all are great. We love you. We love you so much. I love you. <laughs> Go Dubs. <laughs> 20, 2017. Woo! NBA champions. That's the one. From seen a bit like go down some like dark stone stairwell and just like emerge into some shit that I in like a vampire's den yeah <laughs> and just be like no no no, no. <laughs> nine 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 <laughs> Geico presents oh not again another voicemail from your roommate hey man so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open could you shut it I left it wide open uh, while you're there could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners <laughs> my mom never let me use the oven I wonder why <laughs> the Geico insurance agency could help keep your personal property protected like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renters insurance